dribble to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. 10-1-9-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-
at Puck Support everywhere on social media. We're here to support the hockey community with things like mental health and addiction, things that not only I went through, but so many other guys and girls. And you guys have been watching the show. You know that my wall of hockey's angels is continually growing. I'll tilt the camera a little bit. We add one every show. Tonight behind me is Mark Pavlich. And uh, Mark Pavlich lost his life March 4th of this year. Uh, it's been ruled a suicide. And, you know, I've made posts about this. I've talked about this on the show uh, several times. Uh, but tonight's episode is dedicated in the memory of Mark Pavlich. <sighs> My heart goes out to the entire Pavlich family. I've been able to connect with his sister, Jean, but, you know, to all his friends and family, you know, we're always thinking about you. And to all those in the hockey community that has lost a loved one here at Puck Support, we're going to make sure that none of these individuals are forgotten. There's some familiar faces in there, I'm sure, some that you've never seen. But for the rest of my life, I will continually be bringing these individuals up to make sure that they're not remembered and so that we can somehow, some way, come up with a solution so no more individuals have to be added to this picture. It pains me every single day to have, you know, have to look at this, but it gives me great pride to know that, you know, not only myself, but several other people behind the scenes working to bring this thing to light. You know, this is why we're doing it, you know, to remember those that we've lost and to make sure that we can limit the casualties moving forward. If you don't know, we do honor them in, in our merchandise. One of their names will be in all of our merchandise tonight in my hat, Bob Probert. What I got in my shirt tonight. Also hidden away in the shirt, Terrence Tutu, brother of former NHLer Jordan Tutu. So this is the every piece of merchandise other than our COVID-19 masks will have a memory of one of those individuals that we've lost. If you want to head over to the website, the shop is there. All the money right now is just going to grow puck support. Uh, PuckSupport.com. If you use promo code, never forget, you're going to save yourself 10% off and you're going to, you know, help contribute to a great cause. Uh, moving forward. Uh, you guys know that uh, I announced last week that I'm going to be rollerblading across Canada. If you follow me on social media, you saw the last two days, not today, but yesterday and the day before. It's the first time I've been on rollerblades in probably 15 years. Guess what? On my second day, my rollerblades broke. Whatever. We're going to leave it at that. So if you're wondering why I'm not rollerblading over the next couple of days, that is why. But hey, I have battled through way worse things than broken rollerblades. It's a minor detail in the big picture. So stay tuned for details on that. Thank you to everyone for your support. It's, uh, it's been extremely overwhelming. Before we go any further, we're going to get through one sponsor at least before the episode starts. So here's my one of my favorites, Regan Bartell, play-by-play -play voice of the Kelowna Rockets. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play -play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leopold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Teamissued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 
for 15% off. They've been with me since the third episode of Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. We've since switched the name. I think it's like at 105 episodes. So Jesse and Team Issued has been with this podcast for over 100 episodes. Thank you, Jesse. Check out Team Issued, promo code ToeDrag15, and that's because the toe drag was my go-to move, if you're wondering why that's the promo code. So my only move. It works sometimes, though. I'll, I'll, I will say that. Um, we're going to get to some pictures at the end of the show. I got some pictures loaded up of people in their puck support gear. Uh, also, I'm going to tell you guys about James Bushert and the hockey tournament that his team was in uh, this past weekend representing puck support, which was very cool. We'll get to that. Uh, but hey, I think we I think we just do it. Let's get let's get right into this episode. You guys know how it goes. I'll be back in about five minutes with my guest, who I'm super excited to talk to, guys. See you in a few minutes. Well, as most of you know, it's been over a year since I started podcasting. And when I recorded that first episode, I never would have imagined that I came across so many individuals that played elite level hockey who have suffered with mental illness. But thinking about it now, I mean... I feel pretty ignorant because regardless of who we are, mental illness and addiction can affect anybody from anywhere. But when we're talking hockey players and the masculinity of the sport, it's just something that never wants to be talked about, discussed, and in my experience, addressed head on. Having said that though, we are trending in the right direction. And tonight's episode is only going to further that mission. When we see hockey players, or at least when I used to see hockey players as a kid growing up, I would have never imagined that they had any sort of problems surrounding mental illness or addiction. To me, they were superheroes. But the cold, harsh reality is that life outside of hockey and when we're done playing hockey can sometimes become a nightmare. I mean, let's face it, all of us growing up playing hockey have the dream to get drafted to the NHL, sign a contract, and then play in that first game and hopefully have a long, lengthy career with plenty of Stanley Cups and nothing but good times. But let's face it, how many of us will ever reach that? And even more so, how many of us almost died trying to get there? I know I sure was one of those guys, and tonight my guest was too. Mitch Miraz was born May 3rd, 1994, in the great city of Edmonton, Alberta. But at the age of three, the Miraz family picked up and moved to Calgary, where they still reside today. Miraz was like most of us. He grew up loving the game of hockey, with his sights set on playing in the NHL. Well, the first step was the Western Hockey League, and back in 2009, the Edmonton Oil Kings selected Mitch Miraz. 30th overall in the second round of the WHL Bantam Draft. Mitch first suited up for the Oil Kings during the 2009-2010 season, but didn't play in his first full season until the 2011-2012 season, appearing in 66 games, recording 16 goals, 9 assists, 25 points, and 131 penalty minutes. He also contributed 4 goals and 4 assists, in 20 playoff games en route to the Edmonton Oil Kings WHL Championship and he was also part of the Oil Kings Memorial Cup winning team that same season. 
After a very successful season, winning the WHL Championship and the Memorial Cup, Mitch Moraz was drafted in the second round, 32nd overall, by the Edmonton Oilers. Mitch would play the next two seasons with the Oil Kings, continually improving on his numbers while racking up the penalty minutes, never afraid to drop the gloves, always showing that he would do whatever it takes to get to the next level. Mraz would turn pro during the 2014-15 season with the Oklahoma City Barons of the American Hockey League. And the following season, the Oklahoma City Barons moved to Bakersfield, where he played for the Condors for parts of two seasons. With just a couple months left on his entry-level deal, Mitch Mraz was traded to the Arizona Coyotes, which meant he was now a Tucson Roadrunner. After finishing the season in Tucson, Mitch Mraz then signed with the Idaho Steelheads of the East Coast Hockey League the following season and played there for the next three years. His last game was during the 2019-2020 season and this year is his first year officially retired from hockey. I had never met Mitch Mraz up until last week when he reached out to me about coming on my podcast. Like all of us in the hockey world, I took to elite prospects to check him out. He's obviously younger than I am, and while he was playing professional hockey, I was doing not-so-great things, as you guys know. Mitch shared in brief detail the things that he had currently been going through and gone through in the past few months, and it didn't take long for me to realize that I really wanted to bring him on the podcast. His story started to remind me of myself in the first year that I was no longer playing hockey. Today's podcast is going to be an open conversation. Mitch and I spoke on the phone the other night, and I even had a chance to talk to his dad, Dan. This past year has been a troublesome year for Mitch and the Mraz family, but it is my hope that I will be able to connect with Mitch, and we will be able to have a great chat, not only to help him, but also help others who may be going through something similar. Like myself, Mitch Mraz has been hospitalized for reasons surrounding his mental health. But like I said, I'm going to let him do all the talking today and open it up to him to discuss whatever he wants to or doesn't want to. I'm very excited to get to know Mitch more and build this friendship. I really believe we're going to feed well off each other. So let's do it. Without further ado, guys, I'd like to introduce you guys to my new friend all the way from Calgary, Alberta, former Edmonton Oilers second round draft pick, Mitch Mraz. And before I let one more fire go out, What's going on, buddy? Hey, thanks, thanks for having me. Hey man, I'm uh, I'm happy you're here and, and thanks for being thanks for being patient. Everybody watching, <laughs> thanks for being patient. That's happened a few times, and that time though, I still am I have no idea. Uh, why that happened so thank you everybody and Mitch thank you so much for being here Uh, I'll try to get this this banner off the screen here but uh, yeah man thanks thanks so much for doing this and I'm excited that you're here man and uh, let's let's get right down to it man I want to hear I want to hear first off before we get into the nitty-gritty stuff let's let's hear about your love for hockey because I think you know everybody in in Canada we all seem to have that dream of of playing professional hockey, certainly in the NHL. And, and uh, it seems like you were no different. Yeah, it's a beautiful game. And again, thanks for having me on. This is, uh, I've been waiting for this my whole life. I've had a lot of uh, things to say. 
And this is the first time I get to be uncensored uh, without a corporate entity uh, to answer to. So this is just me. I'm just going to be me and uh, we're going to have a conversation and whatever comes out is going to be um, genuine and from the heart. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I hear you on that one. It, you have to be very careful uh, when you're certainly playing even man nowadays, even before the Western Hockey League, you need to be careful the way social media is. Uh, and I hope people listening, you know, it's a, it's a lesson. I mean, there's some positives to that, but there's a lot of negatives that come with that. And then you're in the Western League and then you sign a sign a show contract and, and now you're really under the spotlight. So you, you can't at least my my personal experience. I always felt like I couldn't be myself. So feel free um, to, to share whatever you want to or don't want to. Um, but yeah, man, I, I just, uh, I'm intrigued by your story and, and I just appreciate the fact that, you know, you want to, you want to share your story for, you know, to help not only yourself, but, but others. So, um, what was your, I'm curious as to what your transition was like, you know, to the Western hockey league, you're a second rounder, not just to the NHL, but also to the oil Kings and the WHL. So I know from my experience, the expectation of a first, second, even third rounder in the Western League, there's there's automatically that expectation. There's more people looking at you at rookie camp, your first time there, uh, main camp. Uh, what was your what was your experience like when you first stepped into a WHL dressing room, Mitch? I was just a scared kid, man. Just just so scared, so nervous to step on anybody's toes. You know, walking carefully around the vets, like observing, listening um and that that big shock to the system where you're brought into that um semi-professional locker room is a lot different and being a kid with open wounds that hadn't been healed soul-based or spirit-wise um that was scary and i remember playing that first game 2009 i just turned i, I was 15 i think that was like right at the start of the year 2009 i would have been in grade 10 and I get called down to Lethbridge and play a game. And I was just wide-eyed and holy Dinah, what am I in for here? Yeah. And, and I think that, I think a lot of us, you know, can, can that get to play at that level, um, have that same sense, sense and feeling. And uh, you mentioned, you know, having some open wounds and, and, you know, I, speak from my experience, uh, you know, being abused as a kid, uh, you guys heard in the intro and, um, we had a conversation the other night, um, and, and you can share more on that if you want, but the yeah. thing, there's a couple of things that stuck with me, Mitch, is that it was, uh, you're always trying to, you told me you were always trying to just fit in. You were addicted to fitting in. And I was like, Whoa, yeah. man, like me too. Like that's, that was all. I just wanted to be accepted. Uh, yeah. because right from day one, I was just a mess. So yeah, I'd right. love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, um, I was a high-energy kid, um, picked up a hockey stick as soon as I could uh, walk, pretty much. The old man made a backyard rink uh, shortly after I was on, on walking legs. I was in skating boots, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I had that, as kids do, you dream. Uh, everybody grew up in Canada, watched hockey night in Canada, Saturday night. Don Cherry, Rock'em Sock'em in the in the stocking at Christmas. You know that yeah. was that was how I grew up. And um, around ages five, six, parallel to your story, I was sexually abused. Um, it was uh, strip. It stripped me of my, 
what it means to be a kid and it was really confusing and uh shortly thereafter you know there was some transgressions in my parents marriage as well that mm -hmm. i was holding on to so there's a lot of open wounds as i uh, progressed through my early adolescence and that forces you to wear this mask and just do whatever it is to be a chameleon to fit in mm -hmm. and you know it's 20 years later i finally shed the mask and i get to be on here with you talking about this stuff i think it it does change the stigma well first off man I, I like i'm really sorry that you had to go through that and um you know there's so many you you mentioned parallels you know same age same thing happened to me and, and yeah. right around the same time my parents uh divorced as well so you know just a lot of similarities there um and i would just you know we can talk about this more now or or you know off off the podcast and we'll continue the conversation i'm sure for years to come and just be there for each other but you know it took me a long time to tell anybody uh that that had happened yeah. to me um and just recently in the last i don't know seven eight months i've started to get sexual abuse trauma counseling which is it been pretty helpful. I mean, I'm still not, I'm not going to lie. Like it, it still hurts some days. I still have flashbacks and things, but you know, I've shared openly about how much that pushed me into hockey. Was that something that, you know, elevated you to, to even want to play hockey even more? Was it an escape for you? Yeah, it was my vessel. It was, it was my haven and uh, I put everything into it. You know, summers just spent endlessly shooting pucks. Um, you know, putting your heart and soul into the gym. Uh, shout out to Doug Crash at Crash Conditioning. Uh, it's just um, you put everything into it when you're backed in a corner. I'd say I, I felt like there was only so much you could process at that age, and you're processing those experiences as a kid. So you look for outlets and my outlet was hockey. That was, it's, and it's the most beautiful game in the world. How could you not be drawn to it? Um, it's just so artistic and creative and fast and fun and full of contact and all the physicality that um, you could ask for in a sport. Yeah. I mean, same thing for, for, I think a lot of us and, you know, it's, I just go back to the the Christmases with the Rock'em Sock'em. It was the same yeah. thing. It was the same thing at my house, yeah. um, you know. And I just, yeah, just good good memories. I just picture in those Christmas mornings and and good times. But at the same time, you know, I think back to when I was all those Christmases, all those good times that I had. It was like, man, like I was a I was a hurt little boy. Like I was I was a confused, angry um, little boy that you know, I think just, just wanted, like, we go back to wanting to fit in wherever yeah. I went. And that, you know, that stuck with me everywhere, whether I was a drug addict, homeless in jail, all of it, I was, I've just recently now started to be able to be myself. And it, you know, it seems like you're on your way to be there too. Yeah. Um, but I want to, you know, talk to you about, you know, winning the Memorial cup and, and a championship with Edmonton, the town that you were born in, um, what was that experience like, you know, cause I never, I only made it to the first round uh, a couple times and that was it anywhere, uh, period pro or anything. So it's your first full year and you go to the, you go to the ship, bud. how was that? Yeah. That uh, our Oil Kings team is just, um, it's going to be a historic team when you look back at it. 
those three years, 50 wins each, uh, going up against Portland three years in a row, playing, what did we play, 20 games against Portland in three years in the finals, two best of seven, or three best of sevens, two went the full way, and we took two of the three. And then that final year, we took uh, with uh, our big guide wearing number 26 over, oh, he's right over here. <laughs> there he is. Pelshi, yeah, he was our guide that year. And I was really in touch spiritually at that point with uh, growing up as a Christian. I was really in touch with um, Pelshi's guidance and presence through our locker room at that point. I felt like a real spiritual leader for the team uh, through the playoffs and then into the Memorial Cup. We really channeled his energy and he was our guide and our guardian angel. And um, very special year. And I look back on it and say that was probably the one time in my life where I was connected to spirit and soul and um, just uh, a really amazing blossoming time in my life and everything was happening really fast. Um, again, I was already an Oilers draft pick at that point and um, you just start dreaming about manifesting, bringing Stanley Cups back to Edmonton now and that's I was so attached to that ideal that when I was traded, it was really difficult to process as well. We can get down that road. But as far as the Memorial Cup, I just look back. I'm so grateful to, for the people uh, from top down. You know, Derek Laxall, our head coach, Steve Hamilton, our trainers, Brian Cheeseman and and uh, Rogan Dean, um, all our teammates. Uh, we we got to start thinking about a 10-year reunion for that 2012 championship and then we can from there we can plan our 2014 because it's already been 10 years can't believe it yeah that's uh that's crazy actually to think about i remember uh, i mean i was uh just recently made a comeback back in 2012 and i remember i remember watching the playoffs um you know while you guys were playing and thinking like how the hell is edmonton so good they just came into the league like just a few years prior when you know, my last year in the dub was was really their first year. And, you know, they obviously did such a great job building that team. And, um, yeah, just, I just I can't even imagine the memories and, and the fun times. Uh, looking back on it, um, my question for you is, is, did you feel like you really got to enjoy it? Um, because, and the reason why I ask you that is because I reflect back on a lot of times in my career and I didn't win anything like I told you, but there's all these little moments and, and things that happened that, I feel that I didn't really, I didn't really appreciate at the time, and uh, and yeah. So I'm just wondering what your experience was with that. I did, and you know, I look back, and we had such great leadership: um, Bob Green, Randy Hanch, um, part of the Oilers family. It felt like it just felt like a family um, organization at that point, which would change um, later on. Uh, we can get into that, yep. but. Um, it just felt like a family dynamic. And like you said, um, being an expansion team coming back into the league is difficult because it's not like the NHL uh, <laughs> draft. It's, you know, you're getting more or less the, te- the guys that aren't uh, fitting in on their squad. So there are some characters those first few years, uh, the Oil Kings, and I got to experience a little bit of it when I was 15. But even the guys who were coming up, like those guys had to move on in order to get uh like mark pasek was their first pick who's a great leader for me and mentor and i still consider him a friend to this point um they had to get 
the Mark Pesics into the leadership helm. Like Rhett Rachinsky was right in that mix too. Um, Keegan Lowe as a 93. You think of, they had a huge crop of 93s that were really significant in turning the tables, but started with Marky. Um, and then you go down 93, 94, you get uh, Henrik Samuelson brought in, myself. Um, and then you go 95 after a really bad year when I was 15. Um, and you get pick up Curtis Lazar, who's again one of the one of the great leaders of those teams. And uh, props to him for just for just uh, making his way to Beatontown there. What a lucky guy! But he's going to do great for the the Bruins there. He's a, he's a special human, and he's going to do great. Yeah, I was happy to see that he that he was getting moved there too, and I hope that you know all the best for him. I was always actually a Curtis Lazar fan. I actually, for some reason, I kind of followed him closely. Never met him or anything, but he kind of just intrigued me as a hockey player who you know was sort of disconnected from the game, but saw him play with Team Canada and 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 obviously all those memories there. But uh, you know, you mentioned how it felt like a family, uh, and then. You know, you said you were already drafted by the by the Oilers, and and maybe some people don't know, but it's the same ownership group of the Oilers and the Oil Kings, so very very closely tied. And there's a picture of you on draft day. Um, yeah, that's Gregor there. Walk us walk us through that moment. Is that Steve Tambolini there too? So that's, yeah, that's Tambo, uh, Steve McGregor, Steve Tambolini, Keegan or Kevin Lowe was at the table. Uh, uh, who else is there? But uh, what was Dave, that like? oh, who I got to walk around the table, and uh, the late Dave Samanka was still was wow. still there. It was just a, it was one of those out of body moments where you. I heard my name called. I, I knew I wanted to be an Oiler. I thought I was going to help bring Stanley Cups back to the city I was born in. Like that was de- that was my destiny, um, unraveling uh, according to my plan. <laughs> Uh, which which we know isn't always uh, it doesn't always go the way we think it is, um, but uh, that was a special day and I I remember just barely even feeling the stairs below me as I went to go pick up that jersey, and uh, just probably looked like an absolute goof during those interviews. Just so happy, somebody told me to shave my face to look more professional. I just looked like a just looked like sixteen and. <laughs> it's a bit that's interesting it, it was it was probably a good move to shave your face whoever whoever yeah. you to do that it was it was probably good advice and and that's why i mean i have a mustache i never have a mustache i'm growing it all year for mental right. health not just november but it, definitely good advice anybody going to the draft or if you're going to a draft interview probably shave it's some for some reason in the hockey world and when you're not like established there's these little things that you should just know but you don't and that's kind of kind of one of them and it's important to have people around and, and to hear these stories just to know and um yeah you do look but you look super happy and why not you you know what yeah. i mean one step closer to your dream and um you got into well, some, some exhibition games there too um <laughs> you could end up on lou lamarillo's team and he'd have the razor right backstage for you yeah exactly that's, <laughs> what, that's what i mean but um what was how about this question? What was the difference like going into, um, say, the Oil Kings dressing room for the first time versus the first time that you stepped into the Oilers dressing room? Was it the same sort of emotions that you felt? Well, what was interesting is I got a chance to be, I think, our first um, 
whatever you want to call it, spring camp with the oil, oil Kings, they did a lot of stuff using the Oilers facilities and Rexall was an old building. So they really, um, we used the Oilers gym all the time, um, had tours of the room. And then um, I was pr- more comfortable stepping into that setting um, and knowing guys that were already in the system really helped a lot. Um, I would say I still was wounded at this point, but you know, when you're riding such a, such a high of this draft, you, it's easier to put on that mask because it's a little thicker at this point, you have a little thicker skin, some clout to you, some whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, it was, it was an easier transition and I felt like that was where I was meant to be at that time. Yeah. And, uh, it- it's a great answer. I was just curious because, you know, I, I was, I think maybe some guys would go through the same. How were the guys once you, you know, were there, like without naming, having to name any names, what was the veteran leadership group, um, you know, that were current Edmonton Oilers with the young guys? Was it, was it pretty good or, or was it nerve wracking? What was that like? Um, I was super fortunate uh, during that lock, that last lockout year, Ryan Smith and Halsey, uh, were around a lot and Smitty took me under his wing, uh, really mentored me. Um, so he was on his last year there. He was going to retire that year. We won the Memorial cap 2014. Um, so it would have been like Andrew Ferentz was there. This is a, this is now the Dallas Eakins era. So Mac T's GM at this point and there's son and Ebbs is still there. Halsey, Nuge, um, Schultz is still there. Um, but very young team. So you ask about veteran leadership. There was a disconnect between the veterans and the young guys. Um, it was almost like, um, and I'm not afraid to talk about it. I could see the disconnect where Andrew Ferentz had this massive community involvement and was really connected to the head coach, Dallas Eakins. But um, the other half, like the younger guys of the team, didn't really connect to wanting to ride a bike all the time. And there was a disconnect and almost like a polarizing locker room. So that's probably why they didn't have as much success uh, during those times. It's just a, a locker room disconnect. No, regardless of the skill, um, it's all about being a team and being unified at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think it's, these are things that people don't really realize, uh, and I shouldn't say all people, but a lot of people maybe don't think about is, you know, the, the inner uh, politics of a dressing room and, and the challenges that come with yeah. that. Um, yeah. It's, it's so, it's so common in hockey. It's either, it can either be really great um, or, or not so great. And so Andrew Ferentz was kind of, you know, encouraging these guys to, yeah. to, to, to toe the line and showing them how to be a pro and, and and these younger guys weren't really buying into it or, or whatever the case is um, it's, it can definitely unravel things very quickly. Uh, Yeah. I mean, go ahead. I wasn't in the room. Uh, I didn't play. The only guy that was playing at that point was Yak. So think about you have four first overall picks and you can't buy a win. Like it just didn't make sense. And that's why, you know, there's, there's something going on in the environment and there's a disconnect. Yeah. It shouldn't, uh, it should have translated to wins because the, on paper, um, just unbelievable rosters, um, should, it should have trans translated better. 
Yeah. And so you ended up turning pro uh, American Hockey League, which I think is severely underrated. Um, at least my time there, I, I, I couldn't believe how much better it was than the Western Hockey League, to be honest with you, and, and how good some of the guys yeah. were. And uh, you, you turned pro and, um, you know, things are looking things are looking pretty good. You're, you're feeling pretty comfortable within the Edmonton Oilers organization. Uh, and then a, a major change came in and that sort of uh, you know, impacted your life uh, in a negative way. Am I correct? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You can look back on moments that were significant. And uh, OKC, my time in OKC was amazing. I love that first year. We had such a great group of older, younger guys and not a lot of egos floating around either. And we had Todd Nelson was our head coach. Um it was it was he felt that family feeling it was brought to okc and he felt like a part of a real team again and that was you know coming full circle after just leaving junior and having an amazing career there i was like oh this is going to be seamless just the way this lines up um but i struggled my first half like the speed and and tempo and i came in limping more or less into uh into training camp i had a torn pcl during the playoffs during the mem cup run i played on a i had a torn ac joint up and uh torn pcl for the mem cup and uh barely limped into training camp so i, I was really struggling with the pace timing and uh structure of pro uh for the first half and then came back after all-star break and and kind of broke through um once I was like, all right, well, the first half's over, pressure's off, we can reset. But that that timing also coincided with losing our head coach, uh, Todd Nelson. Uh, they moved on from Dallas Eakins up, up in Edmonton, and Todd was uh, to fill the void. And that left a massive void in our locker room as well. Yeah, and, and that, I mean, when you build a relationship with, you know, the staff of a team, uh, and especially when they draft you and and you sort of, you you just feel comfortable, right? It come and then your confidence is up. Uh, and when that, when there's a big shift there, it can totally derail um, not only your plans, your confidence, all of that. Uh, and, and yeah, and it's just, it's a really, really, really hard situation for, to deal with. I mean, unless you're got a guy like Connor McDavid or Ovechkin Crosby, and you know that it doesn't matter where the hell you go, you're, you know, you're kind of in control. Um, but as a guy trying to make it to the next level, it's like you're building to that next year and you're like, okay, I have these relationships and I, I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing them. They know what I can do. And then all of a sudden it's just different. You're like, man. And like, they might have a whole other plan of guys that, they want to bring in that they've been grooming somewhere else. And it just, it, it's crazy. And that window of opportunity, uh, even when you're on an entry level contract, like you were, it's very short and very small. And sometimes getting that opportunity is honestly out of the player's control. It, like yeah. I, I've seen guys play so good and never get the call, you know, and then right. for, for whatever reason. And it's like, wow, like what, what gives here? So how, how was that 
really on you? Like, how did you handle that? And then being traded to to Tucson and and or the move to Bakel, the trade to Tucson. Um, what what did that do for your psyche on the ice and also off the ice? Like, is this? And another question is, what was it like for you as far as partying goes? Were there were there a lot of drugs around? Yeah. Drinking? What was what was that like? Was was it like that in junior, uh, or is this new once you got to pro or at all? Right. So let me unravel some of this. Um, I'll say a significant moment in OKC was we were in between periods and somebody came in and said they won the lottery again. And so that meant we were getting McDavid. And I was like, well, we're saved. Like, that's it. Like, uh, that's the guy who's going to write this ship. And we're all going to, some of us are going to find our way up there and maybe we'll get to play with him. And that was my set based on optimism. And uh, little did I know that pick was going to blow up the entire family, um, bringing in Shirelli, uh, Luch, and into a new building uh, where we, we were already building this culture and ego got in the way. Um, these people were no longer attached to people who had been putting, you know, their entire beings into this organization, not having any issues on or off the ice with me. Um, it was tough to palate and I couldn't understand why I was so close, but not getting that opportunity, even in the minors, you know, um, just name etched on the third and fourth line, not touching special teams. I was like, what is going on here? Like I can play. And uh, I was a great athlete and I still am a great athlete, but you know, the body started to break down. I had a lot of injuries over those times too. And those were hard to bounce back from. So I think when you get labeled a little bit of a bandaid or um, anything like that, yeah, that kind of follows you around. So I became disposable and that's how I ended up in Arizona for a few months on basically a, a fluff trade to trade two guys that were no longer happy in their current situations. Uh, I was traded straight up for one of my best buddies, Henrik Samuelsson at the time, which is one of the funniest trades in NHL history because neither of us resigned or were qualified by our teams. Um, <laughs> just, uh, it turns into a comedy once you look back on it, but when you're in it, it's like fucking tragic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> There's just this business side of the game that it, it honestly go, I go back and forth. Like if I have my kids were like, had an opportunity to go play high level hockey, like I would really be on the fence about it um, for based on that reason of the, how hard the business side of the game is and how at least my experience uh, was that I never felt I felt like I would be willing to go through a wall for any player on my team, any coach, any GM. I would, it didn't matter. And then when it came down to it, a lot of times it wasn't reciprocated back. And how that made me feel was <laughs> not good to say the least. And just feeling like you have no reason to live. It's like, man, like this is all I do, this is all I know. And Man, like, why am I even, why even bother anymore? And a, a huge issue for me too is having to face those people back home. And it's like, well, like they all want to know there's this big, there's this 
buzz around this promise and you so maybe even more than me the where you were drafted and it's like and then you're always answer, you know always answering questions and and for me like i lost a lot of friends like guys i grew up with like all of a sudden i wasn't playing pro hockey anymore and it's like i was no good to like a lot of these people i don't have free sticks for them i don't have yeah. you know whatever and it's like where where is everybody right now? And then, you know, some of it too is, is plays into my addiction, but um, question without saying names where, did you see uh, what was it like for, for drinking and drugs in the Western hockey league and, and then in the American hockey league, if you don't mind talking about it, whether your experience yeah. or not is something that you saw a lot of or not a lot of. My time in the Western league was, you know, plan. They were really rigid about the partying. It was acceptable to drink, which is, you know, part of growing up experimenting and you know learning your limits i think that's acceptable um there was no hazing at this point like that that culture was you know here and gone with uh so i was fortunate in that regards um i didn't see drug hard drugs until i turned pro like first uh, year first year pro yeah, pretty much straight pro. away first year pro i saw some drugs um i didn't care to indulge uh overly until it was more available like um whether it be bachelor parties or just weekends out on the summer um you know if it was there sometimes i'd i'd hit it whatever um but in regards to drink i never was a guy that could stack up days of drinking it was just too hard on my body so I want to say I was never addicted to any pills, powders, or, or drugs of any sort. I was just addicted to fitting in, like like we talked about, and um, that's a scary thing in itself. But uh, protected me from you know going down darker roads and having some uh, darker times. But I was wounded through all that, and I was escaping something, and it was just escaping that that pain you experience as a child and through your adolescence that hadn't been addressed, um, that you start to chase that escape a little bit. And, um, a big thing was, uh, smoking cannabis in, in the American league. I think everybody needs an escape, uh, after some of those days in the, in the jungle, like it's a great league, but don't get me wrong. It's a jungle. And, when I came in, there was a lot of heavies on their way out. And, uh, like I would not, I did not want a lot of guys on my fight card that were chasing me around most nights. And it's cause I was partially cause I was scared of guys that were 240, 250. Like I was playing at 210, 215. It's not really, it's not really in my weight class or the game I should, I thought I should be playing, which was a power forward style. Uh, up and down the ice 200 feet you know strong strong winger you know um so that was tough i i felt like the game was shifting in the nhl and in, the trickle down effect was that a lot of these tough guys were especially migrating to california for benefit's sake yeah well <laughs> i i can't you know i i played a, a short time in the American hockey league, but same thing. I mean, I, I fought a lot in junior and I, I just remember uh, some of the guys that were in the lineups in the, in my short time there. And yeah, it, it was, uh, you know, 2009. So you broke in, you know, five years later and some of those guys would have been on their way out, but yeah, same, same deal. Right. And 
it's not it's not fun to play hockey that way you know it's no. at that point in time you're talking about being etched in on the third or fourth line and and you're wondering what what can i do to you know move up a little bit and you're willing to try to do anything but when you're stuck on that third or fourth line and you're not getting the power player penalty kill you know you're kind of thinking well maybe i'm gonna have to do these other things you really don't want to fight but it, it starts to play at least in my head it's like man like I, I don't even want to do this, but I want to do this. And it, it it is, it's scary, man. I would lose sleep over it when I knew I had to fight a guy the night before, even if I wasn't actually scared of him, it was just the, the buildup. And once it's over, it's like, man, why was I worried about that? But then it happens next game again. It's, it's not yeah. a fun way to, it's not a fun way to live a life. Um, <laughs> no, it's just like, I good luck falling asleep for your pregame nap. When, you know, you're playing San Diego, the first, first year of the Cali division, you got to, you got, you know, Brian McGratton, Shane O'Brien, uh, chasing you around all night. Like, good luck falling asleep for pregame. That's uh, that's gonna be fun. Like, the Undertaker of the NHL is gonna be breathing down your neck because you probably said something you shouldn't have to him. Yeah, no doubt. It's again, it's a, it's a such a tough job. Being a hockey player is a tough job. It's it's you know people watching they they see a lot of the the, the games, the highlights, the the fun side of it, but there's so much more that goes with it and it really um affects a lot of people's mental health even during their career, after their career uh and you uh after your time in in Tucson, you you know now we're with the Idaho Steelheads now in the East Coast Hockey League. How was that transition going from being on an entry level deal to now the East Coast, which don't get me wrong, it's a great league. I played in it too. Um, but I also know that it's a step down. We all know it's a step down. And now it's sort of did you feel like what what did that feel like, man? That must have been extremely hard. I know it was for me. Uh, well, there was a lot of things going on at that time in my life too. My in my last year of my entry level, I was in Bakersfield and I got a call that my grandmother was uh, diagnosed with lung cancer. And so this whole year I was, you know, keeping tabs on grandma. I took some time away from the team to go see her. Um, actually, you know, what? I'll, I'll share this story. This is, this one kind of gets me. This is, uh, this is where they fucked up is uh, I requested time to go visit my grandmother with her diagnosis. And uh, when I came back, I was a healthy scratch and I kept getting healthy scratch, kept getting healthy scratch. They threw me a bone on like a back end of a three and three or something that we had traveled and dri driven. And then I was back to being scratched. And shortly thereafter, I requested my trade from the Oilers organization. Wow. Um, so that was the last, that was the last year of my deal there. And then, uh, uh, grandma passed, uh, summer 20, summer of 2017, um, and moved on and, um, was in a better place after all that pain she'd gone through. And we watched her suffer for that entire, entire year. Um, it was a, it was a heavy, heavy time. Um, so that's kind of the background story of why a kid who grew up in an Oilers uniform could ever have their heart broke by them. Uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just ego getting in the way, man. It's toxic masculinity 
um, in most oppressive systems. One sec there, Mitch. I'm I'm losing you there for a second. One second there. Can you hear me? One one second there. I'm gonna take you out and put you back in because I'm losing you. Your connect. Can, can you see me? Are you there? Uh, how we? We're we're losing you here. I don't know what's what's going on with your with your internet or. Sorry, guys. We uh, we lost Mitch for a sec. Hopefully, uh, we can try to bring him back. Um, I'll shoot him a text right now. Um, looks like we've lost him here. Couple technical difficulties on hockey to Helen back. We'll uh, we're gonna go to a sponsor real quick. I think he's gonna log in and, and log back out. Um, very unfortunate because that was right in the heart of what he was what he was sharing was was man. I, I he's back. So let's see if we can uh, see if we can get this to work now. Let's see. Uh, Looks like we're having trouble with with getting Mitch here. I'm going to go to a couple of sponsors, guys, and uh, we will we'll see you back here in a couple minutes. Stay with us. Hockey to Hell and Back is brought to you by Pride Tape. Pride Tape is a badge of support from teammates, coaches, parents, and pros to young LGBTQ players. It shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to aubrey at pridetape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, -E, Aubrey, at PrideTape.com. You can find PrideTape on Facebook.com slash PrideTape, on Twitter at PrideTape, and at PrideTape on Instagram. PrideTape thanks all of you for being champions for change. Awesome. It looks like we got Mitch back. Mitch, can you hear us? There we go. Yeah, a little technical difficulties, of course. I think once you start talking about that sort of stuff. It's crazy, isn't it? I was thinking yeah, that's, the exact that's, same thing. It's funny so, how that works. Yeah, it is funny you how that works. You start talking about the oppressive systems and the our line goes out. Crazy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's just there was just some toxic energy in that Bakersfield locker room, and I just couldn't be a part of it anymore. Um, so that's I asked I asked out, and it broke my heart, but... I ended up in uh, Tucson where I got to um, experience one of the most inspiring stories um, and be around one of the most inspiring people in Craig Cunningham. Um, just an amazing human all around, a great mentor and friend of mine and uh, All Heart. Uh, shout out to the All Heart Foundation. Yeah, and uh, Craig has Craig has also been a guest of the show, and I played against Craig in the Western Hockey League, and I'll make sure that the link for his great organization is is up at least at the end of the show. 
Um, yeah, Greg is just an unbelievable guy. Uh, and, you know, shout out to him as well. Um, I'm, I'm really sorry that that happened, man. There's uh, comments coming in. A lot of people were uh, are, are commenting and, and we'll get to some questions and comments. Um, the first one there was that while you were talking, just before it cut out, real talk. And you know, that's what I, I really appreciate that. And this is this is what it's all about, right, is being able to share real life experiences, you know, and, and these are things that happen in, in the hockey community that very rarely get talked about. Uh, players uh, don't want to share it for various reasons, usually because they're scared of the powers that be. Um, but now that you're retired, you're, you're officially retired, Mitch. Yeah. Yeah, I am. And I was fortunate enough to get in coaching uh, right out of the gate and was under some great mentorship and got to work with kids, which was uh, kind of my calling at that point was reconnecting to the game at a grassroots level. And it brought me back to what it meant to be in their shoes. So I was just trying to provide them with that little bit of magic and wonder that that Haven was for me when I was their age. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think, you know, that's, that's a thing too, is like, I don't want to take away from how magical hockey can be and, and the, and the beautiful, you know, gifts and memories that it can bring us. But at the same time, there is a dark side. And I think that, you know, being able to to hear both sides of it will better equip um, parents and those players moving forward. So the fact that you're coaching and, you know, sharing the, the beautiful side of it, but also maybe as kids get older, being able to mentor them um, and prepare them for some of the things that may happen, yeah. that they would never expect to happen. Just like, you know, you look at the picture of you um, right here and it's like, you know, you'd never think that, you know, a few years later, you'd be going through, through all of that. Um, it's, it's just, it's crazy. It, it, I'm sorry that uh, you had to go through that. And I know there's comments uh, coming through. Dean Smeal says, wow, man, I feel for you. That's horseshit. Not classy at all by the Oilers. Sorry to hear. And that's coming from Dean Smeal. His brother is Stan Smeal, who's the senior advisor of the Vancouver Canucks. So, um, you know, Dean also, yeah is a friend of mine and, and shout out to Dean and, and all the Smeals and Kaya, his daughter. Hi. Um, yeah. Uh, how, how are you doing uh, the transition since, since retiring and, and what was the, what was the ultimate factor deciding like, Hey, I'm not going to go back and play. Was, right. it, was it, was it COVID or like, are you thinking about maybe going over to, were you ever thinking about going to Europe playing in England? I feel like your right. style of play might be good over in England and you can see the world and, and make a living. Like what, why retire from, from hockey? Um, it's a great question. Um, uh, my body would be the, the first answer. I had five surgeries, um, over the course of my career, uh, and finished up with my nose. So once I got my nose fixed, I was like, I'm not doing this again. But, uh, that space in between there was spent in Boise, like you mentioned, and what an amazing time that totally saved my perception of the game. And I was fortunate to be recruited by Neil Graham and Everett Sheen, who took over once Grammar moved up to Texas. And, uh, you know, they just created this culture that was so free of, we, I keep talking about the ego, but yeah. that, is, that is where we men need to address our toxic masculinity. It's in every oppressive system uh, known to man has been written by men. So that's where we really got to get to. Um, but when I stepped into that locker room, I could, I felt like I could kind of be myself and 
I just felt like a spiritual leader in that hockey um, community. I got to be really involved in the community uh, from a volunteer perspective and just a beautiful place that's kind of a sister city to Calgary, in my opinion. You know, Calgary, Denver, Boise, all close situated to the mountains, really beautiful scenery and clean, fresh air. Yeah, it is. Uh, I I spent some time down there. I played in the coast as well, and, and Boise was always uh, one of <clears throat> one of the favorite places that the boys would would go and, and get to visit. It was uh, always a good time down there. Um, but I know you mentioned you did some player coaching down there too because you were injured. Um, yeah. But uh, I mean, how are you doing now with with knowing that you know your hockey career is over? Like this is the first year in I don't know twenty one years that you're not playing hockey uh at least yeah. not playing hockey with the goal of you know continuing getting better right from five years old your goal was to play in the nhl or play professional hockey and then the, you're so close and now this is the first year has it registered to you and, and how has the transition been mitch it's been a journey for sure um there is pain and grieving a loss that you feel um i had three knee surgeries a shoulder and then fixed my nose up and i still probably sound uh, a little nasally at times but uh i'm at peace with it just because my body was ready to move on um you sprinkle in concussions along the way there um bare knuckle fighting doesn't do the most uh for your head um at the best of times so i was fortunate to come out of it with maybe four or five registered concussions or documented it's probably less than that document maybe three documented and then misdiagnosed two or couple and uh i think when your body tells you you know um you need a deep rest um your body goes into depression and i experienced depression um after my second year pro, I had a bad concussion and my body needed a deep rest. So you think of the word depression, as Jim Carrey puts it, your body's asking for a deep rest and that's what you got to give it. And around that time, I got my dog Maggie and she's been my shepherd through all this. She's like, she's a golden retriever, but she's uh, my stable set shepherd, if you want to call her that. And it's the calming presence. I got her that summer 2016, but that was a dark summer. And in this very room was where I, I stayed in the dark and, uh, you know, hid from the pain of all, all of it. But um, I think when you know, you know, and I've been waiting for this opportunity to talk about how did I end up here? Like, it makes no sense. My entire, I've been squeaky clean my entire life. It wouldn't make sense that somebody could fall off the rails and uh end up retiring at 26 um but yeah i just i felt like it was time my my mind body and soul um could not could no longer fake another year i thought about maybe going to europe and maybe it wouldn't have been as physical but who's to say i wouldn't have taken a shot uh you know coming across the ice at higher speeds and then you're really screwed there's there's me that's right. So I was a little delayed on the picture. I thought I had it uploaded, but I didn't. But uh, yeah, I I grew up with golden retrievers. They're the best dogs in the world. Um, yeah, Maggie May. 
Yeah, and I it's interesting because when I first got uh, when I first got clean last year, I got a I got a little uh, chocolate lab named Billy, and and she, you know, I currently my living situation is a long story, but I'm not living with her, my girlfriend, my kids, not because of anything between us, but just some internal family issues at her parents' house and and things, um, but. Uh, I'll tell you what, man, she, uh, she saved my life early in my recovery uh, as well. And just gave me a, a reason to get on the ATV and take her for runs. And, 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 and yeah, so I think dogs can have a profound effect on, on things moving forward. But um, <clears throat> I know that, and you could talk about this or, or you don't have to, but I know that you had some, some struggles and with, you know, mental health and, you know, seeing doctors and, and different things and, um, you were hospitalized uh, for your mental health issues or, or however you want to answer it or not answer it uh, if you want to talk about that. Um, and just, you know, just to remind you that I spent over just just under a year in a, in the psych ward, six months, three months, three months, a month. Like, you know, I was I was uh, I, I was there. I was in a psych ward. And uh, I'll tell you, it it wasn't very much fun. Um, and uh, yeah, I just if if there's anything that you want to share with that, because I know that we had talked about that, yeah. but I'll, I'll leave it open to you. <clears throat> yeah, so um, this coincided with a bit of a spiritual awakening. Um, early in March, I was launching my company Next NFT, which is a new company in this NFT space, and I just saw unlimited potential in it. And March 16th, I had a spiritual awakening that was very profound, uh, top down through my crown chakra. And uh, it overwhelmed a lot of people around me, and especially my parents. And they've actually called the cops on me three times um, as of now. Uh, just not sure. They couldn't understand what I was going through. They think it's a chemical imbalance listening to the expert doctors in the white cloak, whereas these white these white cloak doctors have spent 20 minutes with me in my cumulative 26 years of existence. And they diagnosed me with a bipolar disorder as of March 17th. Um, so my art project started on March 16th. It's still ongoing because I'm trying to break down the walls of big pharma and uh yeah shout out to uh, joe rogan here's my higher primate shirt <laughs> um anybody who studies evolution knows that uh you know we might have been neanderthals at one point that ate a handful of mushrooms and grew our consciousness to where we are now but it's time to take a step further so i'm just inviting people to elevate and uh never stop learning i also got my pearl jam hat on Nice. I love, I love Pearl Jam, man. I love me some Pearl Jam. That's, that's, uh, I didn't realize that. So that's the hat you were wearing. And, um, yeah. And so I think, you know, if you don't mind, you, you did send some pictures with me. Um, you know, you, you had some troubles in there, but you also were able to find, um, you know, a sense of peace through music, um, you know, while, while going through that, but you know, how, how are you doing now? And, and like, where are you at with, with being open to, I mean, I know that I talked to your dad and, and hello, Dan. Um, I know your dad was a little concerned about you coming on here and, 
And I mean, rightfully so. I mean, my dad, my dad's always worried about the, sh- the crap that I'm doing. When I first told him I was going to start a podcast, he was like, oh, he was like, you're doing what? Like, don't do that. <laughs> like, you know, but I did it anyways. Um, and luckily for, for me, and I guess for him that it kind of worked out uh, in a sense. But um, where are you at now? Like, are, are you currently on medication? Um, and are you seeing a seeing a doctor do you do you talk to counselors like what what are you doing aside from um your own uh plant medicines and stuff which we'll get into because i'm also a, a believer in the plant medicines as far as microdosing and, and things like that something that i've talked about a lot on this podcast not not as much lately but um you know guys like riley cote and josh gratton and ryan vandenbush uh, all these guys that play in the nhl um, they're all heavily, heavily involved. Dan Carcillo, heavily involved in, you know, the, the plant medicines is a way of healing um, because, you know, I think it, you, you mentioned it. It's, it's just about, you know, educating, it, educating yourself. Like just, I know that there's maybe your parents or some people out there will hate what I'm about to say, but just because we've done something one way for so long doesn't mean that it has to stay that way or necessarily that it's going to work for that one person. Having said that, I think that there is value in, in seeing both sides of it. And I know that um, there's a lot of medications out there that, that do work great. Um, but I, you know, in my experience from talking to people and myself, I've never given really myself a chance to ever get stable on one of these medis- medications because I just, I'm so impatient. However, I've talked to a lot of people with traumatic brain injuries, like from car accidents and things. And and it took them like sometimes in some cases, like two or three years to get the right medication down. And so, you know, I just think that it goes back to the education side and the fact that, you know, we we at least I feel that, you know, I want to progress with the times and and I want to always continue to learn. Um, And for me, uh, microdosing mushrooms has changed my life. Um, and I never realized it more so than just recently because I had been doing it consistently for the last year, six days or sorry, five days on two days off, five days on two days off. Um, and there was a time when I was just trying to help out a former teammate of mine who was in a severe addiction. It, it it almost killed me, not because I was going to relapse, but the amount of stress and stuff it put on me. And I just felt like an idiot and all this stuff. Well, during that time he was here and just shortly thereafter was the only time in the last year that I had not been microdosing mushrooms. And I was so depressed, so down. Uh, I want, I was like, not myself, not one bit. And now that I'm, you know, back on my, the microdosing mushrooms, um, I feel so much better. Having said that, I've also um, taken a psych eval um, with one psychiatrist. I plan to do another, um, and I am still open um, to some medications, not all. Um, like yourself, I have been diagnosed bipolar, um, ADHD, um, and that diagnosis came from a 35 minute appointment over Zoom. Um, and it's you know, trash. Very, very, very little backstory and very little time. And so, um, you know, before I jumped into that, I, I continued to want to do research. And uh, there was a time just not long ago when I was really thinking about, hey, you know what? I'm not feeling good here. Maybe I should go to the meds. 
um, which, listen, if you're watching, you're listening, and it works for you, by all means, it's great. Yeah. Now that I'm back on my my plant medicines, um, I, I've cut cannabis right out of my life. By the way, um, I used it for to get off the hard stuff, and it worked beautifully. But now I cut it out. CBD is a part of my regimen, but currently I don't have any, so I haven't been using it. But I look forward to using it again. Um, but the microdose mushrooms have been a game changer. I just think that, at least for me, I've always been too quick to trust doctors. Yeah, it's scary business, man. Like their agenda is different than ours. Um, they're they've been taught by the establishment to push pills down people's throats, and this is where I have issues. Like you said, you had that thirty-five minute evaluation. Well, they spent twenty to thirty minutes with me in two weeks of my admission, and some days they'd show up, some days they wouldn't. Some days they'd see me for two minutes, or some days thirty seconds. It was like what's going on here? Um, but in the same breath, the nurses of the healthcare system are the real champions. And if you do anything, support your nursing associations, you know, call on your aldermen's, call on your governments to um, boost whatever they can for the nurses and NPs, because they are the real champions of the healthcare care system. And they really don't have a lot of power. It's all in the hands of these doctors that have different agendas. I'm not going to sit here with no medical degree and tell people to go off their meds, but I'm saying I've lowered my dosages and moved towards a more holistic uh, medicine practice with CBDs and microdosing. And I feel 10 times better, but you know, that's, that's hard for people to palate. And it's going to be hard for my parents to palate because they have no idea that I've been doing this, but it's my right as an adult and education, educate myself to do this practice and that combined with yoga meditation hmm. diet and exercise sleep um i feel better than ever i'm totally free of concern and i'm the happiest i've ever been so if i've overwhelmed anybody it's just because of the spiritual awakening and energy work that i've been doing and my wounds are healing so i'm now getting to be myself that mask is off 20 years later yeah and you know i I apologize to your parents if if they're, you know, hearing things that they're not happy about, but I would encourage them if they have any questions surrounding that kind of stuff. Um, you know, my friend Riley Cote, who um, you will know as well, um, yep. I'm sure would, you know, he's, he's got, he's done so much research and, um, and work surrounding this and same with guys like Ryan Vandenbush, who's a friend of mine, longtime uh, fighter in the NHL, who suffered a lot of concussions. And, you know, we look at, uh, how many individuals we've lost and and how many of them were fighters um live live that way you know you look at bugard and ripon and belak and todd ewan and um you know just john cordick i mean uh, yes some of them are addiction related some of them are, are suicides and it's all very sad and i think we're at a time now where hockey players are opening their eyes to other possibilities and there's so many hockey players right now that are microdosing mushrooms. I don't even think you know how many, but I've, I probably don't even know how many, but every, it seems like every, and some of them haven't wanted to be open about it. Some guys that have been on my podcast uh, who are still playing pro in Europe and stuff. As soon as we were done, they're like, we we're off live. They're like, Hey, look what I got. It's like microdose mushroom pills. TSN is actually doing a feature on 
you know, professional hockey players now who are microdosing mushrooms because that is that that's the way it's trending. So for anybody that's, you know, listening, and I would just encourage anybody that's listening, this is all for, you know, 19 and older, but um, there, there are other alternatives. Um, but I'm, I'm also still open to hearing what um, some doctors say, because I, I believe that there are good doctors out there. Yeah. And I believe that um, there are, there are, you know, great alternatives as far as doctors go with, you know, even in some cases we need big pharma, you know? Um, but I, 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 I agree with you, man. And I, well, I'll say, you know what, if you think of medicine as a compass, West needs to meet East meets North meets South, you know, like bring it together so that it's not one way or the other. And it doesn't become so polarizing. If we want to be called something, then let's give, more reasonable solutions closer to the center as opposed to these huge huge toxins like the what did they put me on abilify like i taking that i felt like i might as well have been walking around with a cane in my hand like that was my pace and it slowed me down so much that i was losing grips on who i actually was and you start to think well maybe i there is something wrong with me and you know the mushrooms and fungi they're the smartest and most creative organism in our universe they are the most adaptable they can grow in any condition and there's something to be said for that i think um, humans can learn a lot from fungi and paul stamets um, is a great educator i do the stamets stack which is uh, psilocybin niacin and lion's mane which is uh just unbelievable combination that works wonders for your brain. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot of science that is, that are, that's going into this and we're, what we're seeing now is, and I don't know if you knew this, but back in August of last or yeah, August of 2020, um, the Canadian government passed the first federal law for palliative care um, for psilocybin. So those that are dying are now being prescribed psilocybin. And so if you look at history, um, that's the way it was with cannabis. That's how it started. Um, and that's sort of the way it's trending. I know um, <clears throat> I mentioned Ryan Vandenbush earlier. Um, he's he's doing some amazing things um, surrounding psilocybin, and he's going to be coming on my show soon. Riley's been on my show twice, and I suggest anybody um, that has questions or want to know more about it from a hockey player standpoint, just you know, listen to him talk on those podcasts of mine, but also he, sh- he shares very openly about it. And, um, you know, I just – I think – you know, at least for me, I, I know what works for me now and I know what doesn't. Um, and I just, I still would encourage you to, um, you know, maybe talk to some people, just professional people, whether it be a, a counselor or something, just to give it a try, just to, because you, you never know, right? Like, I, I don't want to be the one to sit here and encourage you to keep on your own path. Um, you know, I, I don't want to derail any medications that you're on, even though you've been doing it before we talked, but um, I think there is, there's, there's got to be some sort of accountability and responsibility to make sure that we're not just jumping in two feet with this side of this side of the line. Like, you know, I'm, I'm still, you know what I mean? Like it's, there has to be balance in everything. Like you said. Yeah. Like you said, it has to be balanced. And that's, that's the gray area because it, it is 
more of a gray area right now, but it's not black and white anymore. Like there's a space that's being created and expanded and it needs to be for the betterment of humankind, in my opinion, um, to help people wake up because society's, in my opinion, pretty sleepy right now and plugged into the matrix. Uh, yeah. well, however you want to absorb that, um, take that in, I think when you unplug, it's pretty liberating and, um, it makes you realize that we're all just hurling through infinity on this massive rock of lava and water, um, trying to make sense of it all, but we're all so cosmically connected that, um, the fungi help you realize that. And it's, it's interesting, um, that, you know, maybe we were once monkeys and we took a handful, but now it's time to holistically do it and mindfully do it so much that we have this, this wake up as, as the next generation of leaders and spiritual leaders to um, really elevate and change the world. Yeah. And I, there's, I would just encourage people just to get educated. There's so much out there um, for people to, to learn about that we, that you're never going to learn unless you look for it. So, um, yeah, I would just, I uh, would encourage people just, just to get educated. That's what I, that's what I used to say all the time. And I've kind of gotten away from it. I haven't talked about this stuff too often in the, in the past or in the recent podcasts and that, but, um, I think there's a huge piece to the fact that, you know, you, now you're retired from hockey and, um, there's that, there's that, huge piece of your life missing and it's not just the sport it's the fact that you were doing something and getting those endorphins every single day you had a purpose uh you know you were continually stressing your body in a positive excuse me in a positive manner i mean yes sometimes we get injured and things like that but when you go from being a professional athlete and then you just shut it all down it's I think there's a huge recipe for disaster there. Um, and a lot of people that I've talked to, players, former players, if they don't get right into something else, positive and, and certainly athletic, um, the, their lives seem to fall apart very quickly. So there's, you mentioned it's not just about medication, whether it be from the doctor, whether it be plant-based or anything, there needs to be, um, like we talked about a balance, you need to exercise and eat right. And I talk to people all the time about what are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you taking in? It, it plays a huge part in our life. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, I think we're, we're going to have to definitely bring you back on. And I, I just want you to know that, you know, more than anything, like I, I'm here for you, like podcast or no podcast like this goes off and you have any concerns or anything's going on for you mitch like you can reach out to me there's absolutely nothing that you could tell me that would surprise me or throw me like it, absolutely nothing i've met people yep. from everywhere i was in jail i was homeless uh there's there's nothing really anybody could tell me that surprises me or makes me judge them um and you know i <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, put it this way. Somebody messaged me earlier. Um, I won't say who because I don't want to out them or anything. They're like, have you ever heard of imposter syndrome? 
And I was like, yeah, I think so. I didn't Google it right then, but I was under the impression that imposter syndrome when she said that was when you see, when you're with somebody and you see them and you're convinced that that person isn't actually them, it's somebody in their body pretending to be them. And she asked me that on a message and I was like, uh, yeah, I was like, actually I do. That happened to me quite frequently when I was really severely addicted to drugs, I had really bad um, hallucinations and stuff. And I was like, and she's like, no, it means that like something like you're never good enough to, to achieve the things you're achieving and you don't deserve. I'm like, Oh wow. I look really crazy right now. Don't I like, and she's like, no, no, no. Like I, that happened to my friend. And, you know, and so that was obviously a long time ago, well, five, six years ago, yeah. but you know, so just, just an example of, of some of the things that go on in my mind when people say things, and these are things that happen to me and things that I'm totally going to open up about in my book um, that I write. Um, and I think you, you certainly have a story too, but man, I just, just know, man, I, I'm here for you 100%. And, and hopefully, when I'm out that way doing my rollerblade across Canada, maybe you can strap on the blades and, and come rollerblade with me for some of the some yeah, of it. I'd love to. I got my Mars blades set up too. You do? You got yeah. Mars blades, eh? Yeah, yeah my... I, was, I was one of the OG Mars bladers. Really? Yeah, yeah. They're on my VH uh, boots before they even got bought out by True. Wow. Yeah, so they're OG for sure. That's crazy. Before I just we, they lasted two days. Before we go, Leaves, why don't you put up that picture of me with the uh, bloodshot eyes? Because that's my time in the hospital. It's pretty recent. That's within the neck. Yeah, if you guys see that, so that was taken about a week after I was admitted, and I went willingly to the hospital on that night, and I was surrounded by people who didn't really understand what I was doing and i was acting i was i was method acting and trying to create a bit of a reaction on their part but then they instilled a reaction taking a taking a crystal out of my hands that was in my opinion keeping me safe in this place that was unknown to me and uh it required five people to restrain me once they took this crystal away from me my selenite and uh that was the that was the result of uh, almost complete asphyxiation. Um, they said I required choking. I wasn't doing anything violent. I reached for my for my crystal and was taken down very forcefully. And so there is a police matter ongoing. I can't touch on it much more. But that picture is uh, one that's pretty delicate because I almost lost both sight, both uh, all my eyesight and. Uh, probably close to losing my life in that scenario. Yeah. Really sorry that you had to go through that. And, uh, you know, it, I mean, I don't know the, the exact, you know, rat, like everything that's gone on. And, and, you know, I talked to your dad a, a little bit about it and uh, I really was trying to be sensitive and I still am because I, I see, um, I see some things that from my experience and in, in some of my past things and things that have happened to me and maybe that are happening to you, but, um, you know, certainly I think there's things that you are doing that are positive and this is just my opinion, but, um, at the same time, uh, you know, just with the new transition in your life, I, I think that, 
it's uh it's a it's the struggle is real man when you're a professional hockey player and you're no longer playing hockey um whether you play 10 years 20 years 30 years it's very hard to find your way and to find what you're going to do next and so when my experience is that when something feels right um you know and, and you just have this motivation um that competitive edge that got us to professional hockey starts to come out in and other areas, you know, in, including, you know, you have uh, goals surrounding next gen NFT and, um, and just these new ideas that maybe are out of uh, the norm for, for you and those people around you. Uh, having said that um, there may be some, some other things going on too there. And I just want you to know that um, just if it ever gets too much or something, please reach out, man, and, and let's figure this. Let's let's work together on this so that we can yeah. you know, not only not only fix ourselves, um, but that we can sort of be sort of you know work with guys like Riley and 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 others um, to to bring bring new things to the hockey community and the world. But um, yeah, I just I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna keep tabs on you and, and build this <laughs> friendship um, and. Uh, and yeah, man, I, I'm anytime you want to come on the show, um, you let me know. Why are you laughing? Uh, no, it's just hilarious because me and Coates were talking about how uh, you kind of inspired us to start our own podcast as well. Well, that's that's hilarious. Keep, keep the conversation going. Yeah, it does. And by all means, if that does that happens and, and you guys do that, I know Riley's got a great platform. He's got the. He's got the Nasty Knuckles podcast. You guys can check that out. He brings on a ton of great guests. I, I listen to it uh, pretty frequently. I, I love Riley and for all he stands for. Check out Athletes for Care. I'm an ambassador for his Athletes for Care, um, which is surrounding a lot of CBD and cannabis and plant medicines for all athletes, um, finding the holistic approach. Um, but yeah, if you do do that, please let me know and I'll share it everywhere. But you're gonna hear you're going to be hearing a lot from me. Um, I think there's a lot of positives uh, that you're doing, uh, but I would also just encourage you to be a little bit careful sometimes, Mitch, um, just in this new endeavor and just know that if you ever need a friend, I'm here for you 100%. I appreciate it. Peace and love to everybody who listened. Uh, I really appreciate you having me on, man. Hey, man. uh, It's been a a journey, but uh, this is only the first 27 years. I'm excited for what's next. Well, keep us updated. And if there's anything I can do to help you moving forward, I'm I'm all yours, man. Whatever you need. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Okay, we'll be talking here in a little bit anyways. See you, buddy. See you, boy. Awesome, guys. Thank you, Mitch Miraz. Um, interesting conversation. Go to hockey. Go to the plant medicines. Um, a lot of mental health in there, mental illness. And I think it's especially now more than ever, it's we're in this trying time for so many people of uh, just trying to find comfort. And with the access to technology these days and social media and everything, we have that opportunity to really figure stuff out. And we just have to be careful that we're, you know, getting the right education, what, whatever that may be. And that I think a lot of what we see on TV, in my opinion, may be the wrong education. Not all of it. There's great stuff on there too. But 
we all have to make the decisions for ourselves when we get to a certain age and it's it's just a crazy world we're living in but there's a lot of beauty in there and i just i have a good feeling for for things moving forward for society as a whole if we can get through this together and you know i really um i'm really gonna stay in contact with mitch um you know just make sure that he's you know doing okay with transitioning uh, out of hockey and into his new endeavors because there's so many challenges that come with that i want to thank everybody uh for watching and uh yeah we got we didn't get any questions or comments that's my bad but uh i'll throw some comments up here for for mitch to see i do want to get to some pictures James Bushert and the gang this weekend were down there in New York. And he asked me if their team could could represent puck support. So they got these jerseys made up. They even got me a jersey made up. Check that out. Thanks, James. Here's a picture of them, the team, after the tournament. We got James Bushert, Alex Gianforti, Brian Schultes, Kellen Pridmore, Joe Lasardi, Jim Rowley, Brandon Lashinger, Adam Reiners, Johnny Gauss, Jake Grace, Carlos O'Haran, Mark Hansen, and Chris Herman in that picture. Sorry if I missed anybody. Here's James in the dressing room rocking his puck support hat with the puck support jersey. Thanks for repping puck support down there in New York. And you guys have to know that this tournament, uh, this team that played in this tournament, I, rather, they're all veterans of the military and they play for their own mental health. So pretty awesome. Thank you guys uh, for doing such a great job representing puck support. And thank you so much for the Jersey. Look forward to getting that in the mail. We'll hang it here behind me in one of the podcasts. Um, just grateful for, for your guys's support. Couple pictures I want to get to here in the puck support community. Shout out to our first ever puck support youth warrior, Carter Buckman. He's got the original puck support hat on. We don't even have those anymore, but we were able to get him a shirt out. Um, hello to Carter. We're going to feature all these young puck support warriors, but we had to do Carter first. Um, also, Landon Curry rocking the it's okay to be not okay. He's also a puck support warrior. Showing off the Terry Trafford there. Rest in peace, Terry Trafford passed away in 20. 14. I also, the last picture I want to show you guys, Diane and Ben Brunton. There's another puck support warrior and his mom, who's a puck support warrior mom in her own right up there in North Bay. Thank you for your guys' support. Uh, ben is a great little kid. Had the opportunity to get on the ice with him last summer uh, in North Bay. And the Bruntons are such a hockey family. They have two girls as well that are both goalies. So you can imagine what that household is like. Um, thank you to everybody for your support. We have some uh, some comments coming in. Great job, Mitch. Desiree says, thank you for sharing your story, Mitch. Stuart Smith says, puck support at its finest. David Carlson, longtime listener, watcher, says, everything we need, nature provides. He also says, thank you, Mitch. Somebody's agreeing with you. I totally agree, Mitch. We need to get out of the matrix. 
So many symptoms from the pills. That is why I stopped taking them. I would rather deal with the pain from my traumatic brain injuries than the toxic pills. Shambarn saying powerful. Sorry we didn't get to these during the podcast. Dennis, thank you for your courage, Mitch. Stuart Smith, my friend and firefighter in Abbotsford. My dog is my therapist. We have incredible discussions on our walks. <laughs> I think my dad will uh, will also agree with that. Shan says, thank you for sharing that. Stuff we know that happens and never talked about felt powerless as a hockey mom watching it happen. Plenty more. They're there if you want to read them, Mitch, and uh, I can send them to you if you want. But I'm sure you're going to be on the show again. And like I said, anytime, man. What else? A couple things I need to address. The Women's Hockey Championships. Garbage. Garbage. How could they cancel it just days or day before it's supposed to start? If we're talking about equality in hockey... We know it's money related, but if the men were playing the world championships and Connor McDavid was going to represent Canada at the world championships somewhere in Canada coming up, they'd probably find a way to make it happen. If Toronto Maple Leafs and all these Canadian teams can play hockey in their home rinks and follow COVID protocol, somebody please tell me why the women cannot be playing as well. We have to do more collectively as a hockey community. It's uh it's absolute garbage. Whoever's responsible, you should have found a way. You should have found a way. If you're not making, you know, there, there has to be a way to do it. And I hope they find a way to do it in the near future. All these women and girls, not just the ones who are playing or supposed to play, but all these young girls who look up to them as their heroes and for inspiration now don't get to watch that as well. So very disappointed. Uh, but I hope to see the women on the ice again very soon. Um, two more things. Tomorrow, I'm going to be taking part uh, in the Portal Self Retreat. Um, you can go to my Instagram later. I'll have more details on it. It's an old friend of mine. Uh, it's all about mindful practices, yoga, breathing, uh, all that stuff. Uh, journaling we're going to be doing a lot of cool stuff on there and you can check them out on social media at the portal to self put it right there and if you use promo code puck support you're going to save 25% off the retreat so check it out I'm telling you guys if you're if you have some time it's tomorrow night and Tuesday night if you have some time Certainly check it out. It's uh, it's just a, a great outlet, and they've been pretty successful. It's relatively new, but they have great facilitators. It's a great program. Check it out. Promo code Puck Support. You'll save 25%. I will be there both nights. Wednesday night, seven new time, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Hockey to Hell and Back, episode 43, featuring... Canadian hockey icon, Kelly Rudy. Very excited to have Kelly join the show. Once again, we'll likely be talking about hockey and mental health. It seems to be a mainstay here on Hockey to Hell and Back, but I'm very grateful to have Kelly joining the show. Really, really looking forward to it. 7 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday. Check it out, guys. I hope to see you guys all there. 
if you could do one thing for me, you're on Instagram, follow Puck Support. I don't care if you follow my page, follow Puck Support. Tell people what Puck Support is. We're really trying to grow this because there's people out there in the hockey community that need help and support. They need hope. These kids that are playing hockey right now, innocent, like we were talking about with Mitch there, the, the great, beautiful game, all that magic, all that hope. Well, guess what? Some of these kids are going to get older. They're going to achieve high levels of hockey, and they're going to have problems. And we want to be able to minimize those issues and provide support and education and all of those great things. So if you know somebody that wants to get involved or an organization that maybe can help, feel free. Email us, team at pucksupport.com. And if you want to get any of the swag, pucksupport.com, promo code, never forget. That's it, guys. I hope to see you guys all Wednesday. I'll leave you guys with First Star Therapy. If you're an athlete of any kind, make sure you check them out. They're my trainers for my my journey across Canada on my rollerblades. So that also starts uh, Tuesday before I do the Portal to Self-Retreat. I'll be with James Gardner uh, on Zoom getting my mental state ready. We only have a year to get ready, and I'll, let me tell you, I need it. Anyways, guys, have a wonderful week. Be kind to everybody. Stay grateful. And remember, have a great day if you so choose. Pocket of Hell and Back is brought to you by Performance Wellness. The collaboration between First Star Therapy and MindFrame brings a flexible, holistic program to athletes. The goal is to empower and enhance every athlete's well-being on and off the field of play through focus on intentful movement and mindful practices. You can contact them at consult at firststartherapy.com and team at mindframe.info. Plus, you can check them out on the web at firststartherapy.com and follow First Star on Instagram at firststar.therapy and at MindFrame on Twitter plus MindFrame Fit on Instagram.